Hello and welcome. My name is Christopher Martin, and this is the Feasible Film Podcast. Um, you can uh, follow me on Twitter, uh, share this, uh, find it on iTunes, searching on Feasible Film, for Feasible Film, searching on SoundCloud for Feasible Film, if you'd like to listen there. Um, but yeah, just share with your friends on, on um, Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and just let them know um, that you like the show. Uh, I'd really appreciate it. Um, today on the show, we'll be talking... Um, um, Mick G supposedly uh, in talks to direct Masters of the Universe. We'll be talking Star Wars. We'll be talking Top Gun 2. Uh, the DeLorean is supposedly coming back. I'm also going to be um, countdowning my uh, worst films of the year. I know it's a little late, um, but it's just such a slow news week. I thought we'd get that in there. And um, in lieu of The Finest Hour coming out this week, we're going to do uh, the top three, uh, like, boat disaster films. Okay, so with that out of the way, um, let's go ahead and get started. Um, so the first news bit is, and like I was saying, these are all kind of just in your rumor mill. Um, nothing really has been uh, set in concrete for these movies, or um, it's kind of just like little talking points. So um, <clears throat> there really isn't that much news, but we'll try to get through it here. Um, so like I said, the first thing is McGee is supposedly going to, or in talks to direct a Masters of the Universe movie, which is an old, uh, like, 80s, 80s TV show. And, um, you know, Michael Bay's rebooted Transformers, and, you know, it did, you know, it, it was a success. Now, Sony, I think, once is talking to McG, because I think, well, one, it'll be cheap, and for two, I think it'll be something to where... They want to have something kind of in their back pocket to show, um, and it has a name. A lot of people are in kind of like the retro, um, neo-retro era right now where they're they're wanting to see like, you know, old film techniques and um, indie style filmmaking done well. And so I'm not saying that Masters Universe will be that. It'll just be a huge action film, but, you know, they probably want to get um, him back on board. Um, we're making movies because uh, his last movie um, or his last like big budget movie, I guess you'd say, was that Transformer Salvation, which didn't do well at all at the box office. And kind of he after that, he uh, McGee just kind of um, got more into doing producing and TV shows and things like that. So um, He Man, you know, you know, basically was just a warrior. It was like the last hope for the world, <clears throat> and. Uh, you know, he had his super villain, which was Skeletor, and, you know, it was just your typical, you know, good versus evil, and, uh, and, you know, it's known by most people, I guess, as being kind of like that retro, funny style, I mean, there's a million gifts on the old cartoon, it's just something, you know, they're trying to bring for forefront that has a name that they can sell, and I'm not all that excited, you know, um, I'd like to see what McGee could do to try to bring his name back into the fold and, you know, become a bigger director and, you know, and, but his last few films have just been not that great. Um, so another thing, or, or the next news story was, um, there was a discussion recently on, um, digital filmmaking versus digital projection and, you know, the use of film. And so, the Colin Trevorrow, which is directing, he directed Jurassic Park, and he's directing the next Star Wars film, um, during his press conference came out and said that, 
he's going to do the movie, uh, the next Star Wars movie in film, and made some pretty good points on the panel, you know, um, just saying that, you know, film isn't dead, it's not, you know, you know, they're saying digital is more cost effective, and which I believe it is, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of it specifically, but, you know, being able to have something available like instantly via digital um, and not having to, you know, reload the cameras and take the film and get it processed and then take a look afterwards. But you lose kind of, to me, you lose kind of like that warm feeling. You lose like the uh, natural blur and the, you know, the natural light that camera that the camera catches and it's done digitally. It comes in through the lens and it's interpreting kind of what it's seeing and you know, I mean, every film goes through color correction and things like that, but you just don't get that warm, like, fuzzy feeling. And, you know, like, Quentin Tarantino's movie, this last movie, you know, uh, The Hateful Eight, he was getting a lot of, you know, cold shoulders from the media and things like that, but it is it was kind of like Nolan said in the panel, it was just, he was only getting this negative press when stuff happened, you know, when stuff broke down, you know, or, or something didn't work. So it's kind of like, they they made like a uh, argument that it's just these anti-film people like these corporate level digital studio execs are anti-film and they're kind of wanting to get rid of it just because it's not it's not to them not as cost effective and not as easy to shoot and not as mobile and things like that um whereas a lot of other film directors like like um jj abrams they just like love it because it's so quick and you know you don't really have to worry about anything you know, like any big big problems happening and you know and having to like i said having to go through the development process um but you know i'm glad that you know he's come out and said that you know it's it's his choice you know they hired him to do the job and it's his choice to do film versus digital so i applaud him for that and you know I, i'm actually you know looking forward to it a little bit more you know slightly more just in that case so um the next news story was not a not really a news story, but Jerry Bruckheimer met with Tom Cruise for Top Gun 2. And, you know, they said that they had a conversation about it. And my only real hang up is, is Tom Cruise has got so many projects going that how would they, I mean, how would they have time to get a story together? And, I mean, I know they were writing a script, but, um, how are they? How is he? How is Tom Cruise especially going to have time to do this? I mean, he just wrapped his um, like drug smuggling, drug smuggling movie like a couple months ago, and he's doing the Mummy reboot was announced. He's doing Jack Reacher. I'm I'm sure he's going to start working on Mission Impossible Six because the last one was such such a success. So it's like, how when is he going to have time to do all of these things? So it's just one of those things. Um, We'll just have to look for in the future. I don't see it happening anytime soon, but you know, at least it's something exciting to look forward to. You know, I liked, I I kind of like how he's doing, or Tom Cruise especially is doing kind of these one-off movies. You know, he's doing his action, but he's also always delved in sci-fi. You know, and um, like with Oblivion and um, uh, Live Right, Live Die Repeat. You know, those were I thought they were like good distractions and they were all they were really good movies in my opinion you know and he can also jump back and forth between those and jack reacher and mission impossible more power to him so you know we'll kind of have to see how that goes and the last news story is 
it was announced recently that um, the DeLorean Motor Company um, was uh, like bought by a comp by a couple of pe couple of uh, people in um, that's nearby here actually, or a couple hundred miles away, but nearby in Texas here, and they wanted to like restore DeLoreans, and they have been restoring DeLoreans. I think you know there was like maybe like what ten nine or ten thousand of them made. You know, three or four thousand are in really, really bad shape, and you know, there's really only like maybe five to six on the road, and um, that actually work. You know, and you can order parts from them, and you can, you know, of course they have like posters and things like that. But they announced uh, like a couple days ago that, and they revamped their website and everything, so it looks like they're actually going to go through with it. But they want to redo, you know, come out with a DeLorean, and really the only thing they want to do is they want to try, or they're trying to find. A company they'll do a new engine um, and you know a new chassis and things like that but they're they don't want to change um, the look of it so I mean that's one good thing they don't want to change the look of it they just want to you know, make a did I think I don't even I think it even had a four-cylinder I don't even know if it had a v6 but you know they were just poorly they were really cool looking look really cool looking cars you know and back by the you know back to the future just made them look even cooler but um, they were notorious for breaking down and just had terrible, a terrible undercarriage, I mean, under the hood. And so hopefully, you know, they, they can, you know, release these. They say they want to start off doing like one a month and then do like one a week, which is going to take a ton of money. So, and a bunch of people to work around the clock. And if you look at their, um, like company website, look where everything is, it looks like they only have like maybe like 10 stations so i don't know more power to them if they want to come out with them the only problem is they want to they want to keep it under a hundred thousand dollars now i don't know how these are going to sell i mean if they want to do one a month i can see that possibly one a week at a hundred thousand dollars i mean you can go i mean i remember going on the craigslist or you can go on um you know they there aren't they're in working order but they don't look that great but you can get them you can get DeLoreans now for well this was a year or two ago before you know that that tell that Telltale game came out and things like that and you know really the buzz started going around for the movie and you know the what the 30th anniversary popped up but 25th anniversary, it 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 um you know you could find I remember seeing one like not too far from here there was like six grand that ran. You know, and, and of course the body is not going to rust or anything like that. So the body is always going to look great. You know, it's just the trim and the inside that just looks bad. Um, but, you know, I mean, they're going to be manufactured here. So, you know, that's a plus. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. You know, I'm kind of excited. The price tag is pretty expensive. But, um, you know, let's just see how it goes. And so now let's uh, do uh, the worst movies that I saw this year. Now, this isn't like an all-encompassing list. This is kind of just some of the ones I thought off the top of my head. And uh, I went to um, check my letterbox and kind of just sorted them from uh, rating. And, you know, these are kind of the ones that kind of stuck out to me, you know, that I wanted to talk about. And, uh, you know, I just have a couple. You know, we'll go through them here really quickly. Um, one of them, or the last one, I only have seven here, so let's just number them. Seven was Tremors 5. And, you know, I was really excited for this movie. You know, you, you, you get excited, I guess, for each 
film that comes out as far as Tremors for me, just because I grew up watching, you know, those old older monster movies around the 80s, you know, like Big Trouble in Little China and Tremors, they, they hold a like special place in my heart, you know, they're just, you know, they have everything you want. They have comedy and drama and scares and, um, you know, and, and it's short and sweet. It just, you know, it hits all the right buttons for me at least. And so, you know, in Tremors 5, you know, I was somewhat, somewhat excited, you know, I mean, they have Bird and J.P. Kennedy is in there, but, you know, the story was just terrible, the acting was terrible, and you can tell it was just a pretty much a big-time cash grab. I mean, the jokes were just so bad. It's almost like Kennedy was doing, like, um, or especially Kennedy's part, is like he took some of his jokes from a stand, from one of his stand-ups and just kind of threw them out there. And, you know, playing off Burr, he's just, like, serious, and you want him to see, like, kick-ass and things like that, but he, he kind of has that, like, uh, kind of like that, kind of a, a clueless demeanor when it comes to the world, and they're trying to play off, you know, the whole old versus young, but I don't think that they're that far off in age, you know, Jamie Kennedy doesn't come off as being, like, some super young tech way, so it really didn't make any sense to me. You know, the CG was terrible, everything about the movie was terrible. Uh, it wasn't as bad as four, but right up there. And then six was Everest. And, you know, with um, for me, Everest was just, it was just boring. Like, I, I, um, I wanted to see more of the technical side. Like, I wanted to see, like, them explaining more things on their climb up to the top of the mountain. And in the book... You know, you get a sense of of the surroundings. You get a sense of, like, how long it took him to get there. Um, you get a sense of how each character melds on the inside and the out. And they also, on the inside and outside perspective, and they also tie in, like, history lessons. They tie in um, the past. And that that is what's so interesting. You know, I mean, you want to have the numbers here, you know, of what it takes to get there you know, why these people are going, essentially. And I know it goes through each one, but it kind of just hits the bullet points. It doesn't really expand. And for a, for a movie with such a great runtime, like, I think it's a little, I think it's about two hours and 15 minutes, there's a lot of fluff in there, you know, and um, a lot of things that happened, like on base camp and things like that, way just weren't that interesting. The talks of all the crews and... You know when they're. Uh, if you don't know, it's about a, a group of exp. It's a expedition to the get to the top of Everest, and it was around the time where, you know, the boom to get up there was high, and you could you know pay a pretty hefty sum of like seventy grand to have a tour uh, to have a tour guide take you up there, get you to the summit, get you back safely, and there was a campaign crew, and then there was a journalist who went on, and. The way in the, the the way in which the book tells it is is so much more interesting. You know, it it tells more of the history of each character, and it gives you a little bit better sense of the drama that unfolds once you see what happens when they get to the top and towards the bottom. And I know they have to show, you know, ultimately what happens when they get up there. It it I like in the book where it tells you exactly what happens like right away, and it just builds to it, kind of like with Star Wars. You know. Uh, the last Star Wars film, you, you kind of want the context before you start the journey, you know, so that the journey means something at the end. And in Everest, I just didn't think it did that. So that's my number six. Uh, it's not terrible. It's just really boring and lacking. 
Um, number five is Chappie. I thought that, you know, the acting, Chappie is about a computer programmer who wants to, um, uh, well, the city of Johannesburg is, is being governed by a set of robots, a police robot, so that humans aren't hurt. And um, there's a young tech whiz at the company who comes up with a program who wants to, uh, wants to implement in all the robots that he's created that gives them like an AI so they can have feelings and things like that. Whereas, you know, he presents the idea to the, the main engineer of the, of the program and it gets shot down, um, but he still wants to test it. And he's been testing it at home and wants to implement it. Well, one of the robots is captured by kind of like a rogue group of criminals and they, 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 um, they take it and they want to use it um, like against the government. So they want to use it to like rob banks and rob people and things like that. And so um, the, not to get too spoilery here, but the, uh, he's implemented with an AI and, you know, he has to kind of, he's the fish out of water with these like criminals and they're teaching him um, what's right and wrong and how to survive in the world and things like that. But for me, the criminals aren't really that, um, they're non-actors, they're a group, um, they're like a, uh, uh, they're, they're a music group, I believe, and the, everything about it, it's just the look, the music, the way the criminals act, the way they're trying to teach the chappie, you know, it seems all too familiar, I mean, you've seen these movies, like, so many times, you've seen so many TV shows about it, and it just adds nothing new to the table and people's actions on trying to stop the robot or help the robot or the morality behind it uh, it doesn't really have any impact and for me it just it doesn't end well it doesn't begin well and the middle is just you know just things you've seen before and you can kind of just see where it's going and you know the special effects were i mean fantastic you know Nothing to take away from the, I, you know, it looked like Chappie was there. It felt like Chappie was there, but his environment is just what kind of threw me out of the whole situation. And the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes of action were great, but the journey there wasn't that good. Um, number four was Oren Pirelli's Area 51. It was the film that he did right after Paranormal Activity, I believe, that didn't get released. And so... They finally released it, you know, and it's just about a bunch of dudes that pack up um, some camera equipment, go to Area 51, want to break in. They break in, they see aliens, they leave. And there's at, this movie is adding absolutely nothing to the conversation as far as found footage. Um, you know, the, the Paranormal Activity series was a novel idea to begin with in, you know, just like most of the film franchises, you know, that start off with kind of like a humble beginning, always turn out to be terrible at the end. And Area 50, in Paranormal was no exception. Um, Area 51 was poorly acted, um, poorly directed. It just trying to be exactly like Blair Witch or 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 um, the the tension was never there in breaking into Area 51. It just felt like. Some people walking across a couple mountains and getting into some kind of complex. When they get in there, it's 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 bore. It's just so boring. It's not anything that you'd expect. You know, it's. I mean, I, I know they don't have the money to, 
you know, create sets and things like that. But, you know, it was just parts of it looked like it was filmed in like a firehouse. Some of it was in an office building. Some of it was in various warehouses. No really set decorations or anything like that were involved. You know, nothing, I mean, other than this little cave area that reminded me of some kind of weird haunted house, nothing was really uh, done that well. And then the alien abductions are, are kind of like some existential, uh, uh, you know, abduction where you'd see something. It, 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 would show, it would show like the characters being drawn to like bright lights and there were cuts and things like that. The CGI was terrible. And just all around, just didn't make any sense and just ended poorly. So don't recommend that. It was terrible. Um, number three was Get Hard with uh, Will Ferrell and Kevin Hart. And basically, Will Ferrell is set up by his company. Um, he's an investor and he's set up by his, um, uh, or, or he's like a stock trader. And he's, and he's set up by his company um, in like some kind of embezzlement scheme. And they get him on, uh, the police get him on it, and before he goes to jail, it's 30 days before he goes to jail, and he meets the uh, the guy who washes his car downstairs from the office building, which is Kevin Hart, to uh, kind of teach him how to make it in prison. So Kevin Hart comes to his huge mansion and closes it off and makes it look exactly like a prison. And, you know, I mean, there was, there was some funny parts. Um, actually, I thought Kevin Hart was a little bit is being kind of like the straight guy and trying to do like the thug impersonation, you know, and things like that. I thought he was actually a lot funnier than Will Ferrell. I mean, Will Ferrell was really just kind of not really there. He, he kind of reminded me exactly of um, his uh, like Ted Broken character from SNL. He, you know, he didn't really, he's not that smart. He, he's smart when it comes to money, I think. But even then, you know, when they're trying to uh, go over like investments and he's trying to talk to Kevin Hart about it. It really doesn't I mean, there's jokes there, but it doesn't really hit that hit anything for me at least and you know There were some funny moments, but ultimately it was just so bad and um, it, It's just your typical Comedy that's gonna be on Netflix here really really soon uh, number two is the visit the new Shyamalan film um, about two care uh, uh, about a, a mom and their kids and she sends her kids off to her grandparents to spend a week with them and kind of find out what happens um, with that and the thing that was just terrible about it was the uh, the younger daughter or the older daughter wants to film a documentary about it and you know she takes her camera everywhere and films her brother or whatever and you know and he's like really quick-witted and trying to make jokes and things like that and you know everywhere they go everywhere they film it, it just it doesn't really build any tension it doesn't build any type of message it doesn't really tell it it doesn't really tell anything it's just in service to the twist and the twist isn't that great i thought you know you can kind of see it coming and when it happens it's just okay you know that's kind of creepy let's see where that goes and it doesn't go anywhere it just kind of lingers on that and um, that's not really a spoiler, but you know, they're not really going to do, nothing's really going to happen to the kids in the movie, you would think. So that doesn't happen, but it, it doesn't really say anything. It doesn't really add anything. And for as far as Shyamalan goes, you know, it's, it's still one of his lower films in my opinion, you know, even under the happening, 
but you know, I guess you know he's trying new things. I think it did fairly well, and anything that's not after Earth, <laughs> you know, I'll take. So, but I don't recommend it. And then coming in at number one was Paranormal Activity: The Ghost Dimension. This movie was terrible. It it is convoluted. It tries to pick up storylines from the other films and it just does not make any sense whatsoever. I've seen all the other movies and them trying to incorporate some of this older footage um, from earlier, you know, you, you make the connection, but you don't understand what is going on. And, and even so, even still at the very end, it's like they've come to a point to where they were telling a story and it was kind of building and you were getting a little bit of backstory. You're getting a little bit of like where um, the whole paranormal thing started. And, you know, I thought it was like sort of interesting. Even the last movie, the, the marked ones, I thought was pretty good. You know, it, had, it, it was in a different setting, a completely different setting. And it dealt with, you know, new types of characters. And, you know, it had the whole apartment thing going for it where, you know, they were upstairs and downstairs is where supposedly it all started. And there's like a crazy person living there and, you know, the kids would go down there and there was a church and, you know, they had a seance and things like that. So they still had that, but, it you know, it, it added something a little different. I thought it was like well-directed, whereas this movie, the Ghost Dimension, it almost feels like it was a found footage movie about being haunted and that was almost done and the you know the producer of blumhouse or whatever proof just swooped in and were like hey can you change change it to paranormal activity and incorporate these couple scenes to make it make sense and then they incorporate those scenes and you could take those paranormal you could take the scenes that connect the movies out of this film and it could be anything it could just be found footage horror movie one or whatever you know it could be anything and them slapping the, just slapping the name on there and doing, adding in a ton of like terrible CGI, just, it just makes it such a cash grab. And I think now from this movie, hopefully, you know, people will wise up and not go see this. You know, I, I, I just want to see them, I guess, because I'm so curious. And the last one actually was decent. I thought it was pretty good. Um, he used some, like the Simon Says thing I thought was awesome. Um, so they had like their sequences, you know, that were good, I thought. But this one just was terrible. So I definitely don't recommend that. And so that was the worst movies um, of the year so far. And, you know, we'll just quickly go over um, the top three, uh, like, disaster films, I guess, to check out. Um, like if you're, like, wanting to go see, like, Finest Hour. Um, I guess some other recommendations, you know, most people have seen all these. But... Yeah, number three is All is Lost. You know, it's the Robert Redford movie about him taking a sailboat out and getting caught in a storm. And it's just great. There's hardly any dialogue. Um, it's just the procedure of going out and sailing by yourself. And you get all of the emotion and all the stress and all the tension on just his actions and the way he's looking at things and seeing things. And it's just a really cool exercise. You know, it, it'd be a great documentary. Um, I, I'm, I'm, maybe there is one out there, but it'd be a great like documentary. You know, I, I, you know, after watching it, you're just so interested and so captivated. And 
you know, the performance is great and the way that they film, like the, uh, the tension is just so fantastic. So I definitely recommend All is Lost. Number two is Master and Commander with Russell Crowe. Could be like one of my all-time favorite, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Boat at Sea movies, I guess you'd say, or, or terrifying uh, <laughs> naval action, I guess. But, um, you know, it has... Very similar to All Is Lost, it's just kind of like the everyday to-do um, with sailors and how they get along with each other and how they, you know, uh, deal with the pressures of being on the boat and what they do with their spare time and things like that. So it's just a really cool, um, uh, like, exciting movie, and it definitely has, like, one of the worst... <laughs> talk about horror, like, it has one of the worst... Um, amputation scenes I think I've ever seen are cringeworthy. It's just, ugh, it's just bad. Um, and number one would be Titanic, of course. You know, it, it's other than Star Wars, I guess now it's the most seen movie, I guess, of all time. It made the most money, and don't really need to know the story about it. You've seen it, but you know, leading up to it, you know, if you have friends or family that haven't seen it, just recommend it to them. You know, get them in the mood, I guess, to see Finest Hour when it comes out, but. Uh, yeah, so those are the top three, and that just about does it um, for this week's episode. Um, so uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is at Lee Van Martin. You can get me on there. Um, you can message me with like any recommendations. Um, anything you want reviewed or talked about on the show, just let me know. Um, I also have an email address, feasiblefilm at gmail.com. Um, the podcast goes up on iTunes, so just search Feasible Film there. Also on SoundCloud. And then I'm also, um, I also signed up with archive.org, and you can go on there and search for Feasible Film and the podcast, and you can get like all the episodes I've released so far. Like if you want to download them like in bulk, you can do it there. Um, it's kind of like a free place you can go, let hosts all your files, and you can download them there. So, you know, if you don't want to like click on, each SoundCloud one individually, or or you know you want to, uh, or on iTunes, you can check it out there and download them. And because um, as of now, I um, I have a SoundCloud free account, which only allows me to upload like maybe seven or eight episodes. So once I hit that limit, I'm gonna have to start taking episode one off and episode two off. But you'll always be able to go to archive.org and download them there. So um, yeah, so. You know, it was fun. Um, I'll be uh, watching... I'm not sure what I'm going to watch this week, but I'll let you guys know if you follow me on Twitter. And um, until next time, stay feasible. Thanks for listening. <laughs>